Welcome to More Than a Coach. Coaching is more than physically getting athletes to perform. Coaches put so much more into what they do with athletes. There's mental, there's emotional, and personal well-being that must be taken into account. Coaches help athletes and people get from where they are to where they can be. We're more than coaches. Welcome to More Than a Coach. Welcome, Tiana. I'm so excited to have you here today. Me too. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and um, we have a special guest. We have a college athlete on the line as well, Samaya Samuels, who I have had the pleasure of coaching in the past. And um, I thought it would be a great show to bring these two together. Everybody has this potential in them. You know, there's so many people who have Olympic gold medals that they will never realize in their lives because the right relationships and information has not been shared with them. And so I want to make sure that we take this opportunity to bring out the best in Samaya and every athlete out there who may be right there on the brink of a breakthrough because Tiana has been through that personally. And if she had given up or if she had not found the right tools to get over that hump, then maybe we wouldn't even know her name. Maybe she would not be known as that three-time Olympic medalist, Tiana Bartoletta. So let's talk about the tears and the emotional stress of being an athlete. Not just being an athlete, but the emotional stress of our regular lives and how that spills into um, our performance life. And, you know, some, there's a big thing. Like even last night, I saw another athlete post about anxiety attacks before races. Have you ever experienced anxiety that spilled over into your performances. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because I was I was existing in a very unique experience where um, my off the track relationship and marriage were abusive and toxic. And a lot of it was triggered by how I performed on the track. So for me, coming home after losing a race was not a good or safe place for me to be. And so I would go to the track like, I need to win this race. <laughs> like, Wait, what do you I, mean? So I you mean would come that, home and there would be repercussions from not performing well? Absolutely. And what in some kind of way, there would be there would be an, an issue between us for losing. Um, a lot of times it was like, what was that? Do you not love me enough? Oh, it's because you're too fat. You need to look more like this athlete. And they'll pull up pictures from Google Images and compare my body to an athlete that performed better than me. And that was just kind of the way it went for me. And so I had a different level of anxiety when I would come into a meet because it was like, win and have a great evening, go out to eat, have your glass of wine, everything mm-hmm. chill, lose, and who the heck knows what's going to happen. So I carry that to the line all the time while I was in that relationship. And so I am very familiar with that. At the same time, I also understand the process of how to get to that win. And so that is what I allowed myself to focus on. So even though that anxiety was there and I could not get rid of it, I didn't waste a lot of energy trying to get rid of that anxiety. I spent that energy because energy is finite. There's no unlimited like source of energy, right? That we're coming in with. So I chose to take that energy and focus it on, okay, since I need to win or since I really need to win this thing, let me focus on executing all these little steps to give myself the best chance at winning. And then the anxiety is taken care of because I, tended to the process that would alleviate that anxiety instead of the reverse, which I see a lot of younger athletes doing is focusing on the anxiety, trying to manage the anxiety and, you know, really cater to it rather than why don't you address the things that will all that are address the thing that is scaring you the most that is fueling the anxiety and just kind of let the anxiety sit there for a little bit. Just let it, let it be, it's going to be there and focus on the things that'll help you walk towards the goal. How did you get to that point? Like something had to happen to where, you know, at first you're dealing with the anxiety and it's becoming overwhelming and you're not dealing with it well. What was the aha moment that helped you get from that point to understanding to focus on the little steps? Was it a person? Was it something your coach did? Well, I had a mental conditioning coach. Um, I've almost always had somebody who functioned as the mental coach for me. And 
during that time, they, I wasn't, I wasn't being honest about like what my life was like fully, but they knew enough to know that I was managing a lot of stress, managing depression. And so we, our sessions were very practical. They weren't like, know your why and like run for a larger, like I wasn't trying to hear none of that. Like I'm trying to survive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. And so they were very practical things. Like he, his name was Josh Lifrak. And actually after we got world number one and world championship title together, he was hired by the Cubs and then they won the world series. So like, he's really good at his job. Um, he would sit me down and be like, okay, when we're on the long jump runway, what's the first thing that you need to do good? Like, what's the first thing? Then what's the next right thing? Then the next right thing, then the next right thing. And so I had a list, which I called the execution checklist, which I memorized. And so in a, in a competition and particularly the long jump, when you got a lot of downtime, and if you're watching the competition, you're rising and for, oh man, she just took the lead. Oh my gosh, she just jumped seven meters. You can, you can like rise and fall. Instead, mm -hmm. I am essentially chanting my execution checklist to myself. It's the only thing playing on a loop in my head. So by the time I get on the runway and take my next jump, all I hear is what I have to do. And the thing after that, and the thing after that. And so when you're struggling with all of those emotions and riding the waves of nerves, anxiety, fear, honestly, the best thing to do is take all of the emotion out of it and become a scientist. What do I have to do and how do I do it? None of the feelings go away, but you just redirect your focus for a little while. And then you'll notice that those feelings are managed and you don't have to worry about them. Sound familiar, Samaya? Yeah, it does. It's so in high school, Samaya was like a phenomenal jumper. And there, there's been, and a lot of athletes go through this transition from high school to collegiate. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes also it's, we're not doing the mental work. You know, you did so much mental work in high school and then you get to college and you're only relying on the physical work and the physical work alone is not going to be enough right you know the things that you did to get to where you were and you stopped doing them yeah i wanted to ask you tiana like um how long well you say you always had when did you start having one when you first started track or were you saying like in college more so or is it more on an elite level you started getting a mental coach when did you realize that that's something that you needed. So my father is a martial artist um, and his like his his school that he practices with is like on the ancient side, like respect the ancestors, do your chants, do your meditations. So I grew up in a home where my dad understood the power of the mind and your ability to focus and have a singular focus. So he essentially was my very first mental toughness coach just because of his lifestyle like how how a fighter needs to enter the ring yeah that's My that's where i learned like that. that yeah okay. and then in college as a team we saw a sports psychologist um originally it was because the whole coaching staff was new and the team that had been recruited by the previous coaching staff was really struggling with getting used to the new one and their new teammates. And so we would all, it was almost group therapy. We were all in there complaining about each other and everything with the therapist. That's it. So, and then, I mean, yeah, it was great. Way, and I yeah. had, we had breakout one-on-one -on -one sessions and I began to work with Dr. Joe Whitney on visualization and what I need to, to think about. We worked on this so much that when I got to world championships my sophomore year, I was not surprised. I had rehearsed that jump so many times before that point that I didn't even react properly after the win. It was like, oh, I'm supposed to celebrate. Yay! It was like, cause I had <laughs> been there already. And then as a pro, I knew that that was something that I needed to continue, except I didn't know that mental conditioning coaches existed at the time. I knew about sports psychologists and regular therapists, both of which I maintained even during my down years. And then once I got elite level again, like my second coming, 
then I started to have a mental conditioning coach, which is pretty much like a sports psychologist minus the that specific degree. Right. Okay. Which is kind of Samaya, everything that she just described is not what we did in preparation. Yes. In high school, and I've lacked on doing it when I got to college, but in high school, um, Coach Gibson with the team, we did a lot of watching film and a lot of um, looking at different like athletes and their experiences and writing down how we feel and writing about doing a lot of affirmations and a lot of visualizations to the point where, like you said, when it was time for me to compete in a major, a big competition, I already knew that that was going to happen. Like even a, a, a big competition that I can remember in high school, that was one of my favorite competitions was that New Balance when I broke the mm-hmm. um, long jump record. And the jump, the jump before I was about to break the record, it was like, I was like in tunnel vision where I had already seen what was going to happen like after yeah. the jump. So when I jumped like immediately, like Unlike you, but immediately, like my hands went up. I was like, "Boom!" Like I know that's a far jump. I already like I mm-hmm. know I just did it on that. Jump. <laughs> and it was just like I felt it previously when we would talk about it and we would visualize it with me doing in Coach Gibson doing it one on one. So mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of athletes don't do today. Like a lot of athletes don't visualize and don't do like affirmations and don't you know talk about you know goals and like make them reality today and I think that's what a lot of I mean college sports is missing because we don't really have that mental conditioning like that's needed so that's Mm -hmm. that's really something that I think a lot of people need to bring awareness to especially in track and field um I wish more programs had it in their budget, you know, to, to have mental conditioning coaches. Yeah. Like you said, Tiana, yeah. some mental conditioning coaches are, you know, just as effective as a sports psychologist, if not more, because some of us have the experience in the sport that's more relevant than the book knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so it's just something that I think is, is more needed, not just because of the visualization and everything for performances, but like you said, someone that we can connect people to that they're comfortable talking to about experiences at home, whether it be a sports psychologist or a mental condition coach, but those issues need to, there needs to be systems in place to where when someone is not performing well, our first inclination is not to work them out harder, but maybe have somebody that we have them sit down with and talk through things because there may be things that they're going through that they're not comfortable talking to the coach about or that they feel they'll be judged if they bring up. Um, or sometimes there's so much guilt. People feel guilty for feeling what they feel. Like we live in a world of toxic positivity to where everybody feels like I just have to always act like everything is great. I have to use these. I hate that videos. so much. I hate that so I much. Hate it. Like, I'm not okay. I'm not enjoying yeah. it. I'm not happy. <laughs> not fine. I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm still working hard. But no, I'm not yeah. enjoying this ride. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Right. <laughs> I didn't sleep last night, you know, or I'm not eating yeah. well. I'm stressed. Yeah. But if we say we're stressed, then people will be like, you ain't got nothing to be stressed about. Get on the line. You know? Yeah. We yeah, I had a that. I had a I had a follower comment after I made a video for suicide awareness, suicide prevention. And it was a hard story to kind of tell because there's still, you know, there's still stigma around people who have attempted suicide or, you know, um, think about those things. So sharing it wasn't easy already in the first place. So after it's maybe a five minute video, whatever it is, the comment was, you're too pretty to be depressed. Or, and then another, if I had those gold medals, I wouldn't have anything to be depressed about. And so that is also part of the reason athletes struggle because we have to hear like, oh, you're getting your college paid for. You got a full ride. You got this, you got that. What are you upset about? What are you stressed about? You can you can eat whenever you want to. Just go down to the cafeteria like I got to I have to like I don't know when I'm going to get my next meal, but you, you're good. So I'm not really trying to hear about your experience. That's kind of what we're all going through. And so you want to kind of choke it down sometimes. It's really important to have somebody in your corner, like a, like a therapist, mental conditioning coach, 
sports psychologist who you can say these things to because these things affect your performance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can you relate to Maya at all? A lot. I can relate a lot. A lot of people um, looked at me coming out of college. They, you know, already knew like, okay, you went to, you know, you made two world teams and, you know, you have, you know, your medals and, you know, you've, you've met all these famous people and these famous Olympians. You shouldn't be stressed. You should already have the materials. Like, you should you should already be here. You're not here now. Like what is like what like what is what's wrong? You should already be like jumping twenty three feet. Like what's going on? And it's just like, yes, I was blessed to, you know, be in a situation to have all that, but there's other underlining factors that I'm still battling with and it's kinda of holding me back from getting there. So I mean I'm you work through it, you know, all athletes that really want to work through it, but it's it's not as easy as you make it seem. <laughs> yeah, not that easy. Um, I grew up running track when I was five and my dad has always been my coach. And when he was a great coach and he's a great father and I love him to death, but it would be hard sometimes because when your father is your coach, you, you, you know, you can't escape it. And your father is the mm-hmm. one that feeds you. Your father is the one that puts, you know, goes in your back. So it's when things wouldn't go right in track, and I would come home, it would kind of feel like I'm on punishment until I can recover and do well again. And even if mm-hmm. he didn't make it seem like that or he didn't, or if he meant well, it's just, it, it's more stress that I put on myself because I want to make my father proud at the end of the day, you know, and my coach. So it was, it was, it was, mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, but what would you say, like, what are, even to this day, it's kind of hard. Um, our relationship isn't as good as it, I would want it to be. So it's always been a struggle for me to kind of balance out having, you know, a father and a coach at the same time and wanting to make both of them proud. So I, I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. advice you would have on that, I would love to hear it because it's hard. Um, and I don't want to outweigh one relationship than the other because they're both important relationships to me. So, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of athletes out there can relate because I've talked to many athletes who, when I ask them about their goals and what they're trying to accomplish, a lot of it is because of what their parents have said. My dad said I should be doing this or I can run this or I can jump this and I'm trying to do that. And it's like, well, I need you to focus on you and not so much the pressure from your parents. And I think a lot of that anxiety is exactly what you're talking about. You know, the parents are very well-meaning and they see something potential in their child and they are doing the best that they can. Um, but we even see it in other sports, basketball. Um, what's the, the the basketball players who got in trouble overseas? You know what I'm talking the ball, about? The, ball. the balls. And you know how the dad is so overly involved. You something. So it happens in every sport. The parents are, you know, getting caught up in um, putting pressure on an athlete and sometimes living through their through their child. So what, how, did you have any experiences with your parents, Tiana, or any advice you have for athletes who are dealing with the pressures from their parents? So I've had different ex- experiences with my parents, but not necessarily in that way. My dad was also one of my coaches, but he also, I think, was mindful that we had to have our personal journeys at the same time. So I I never really felt like he was lording his will for me over my life. And then on my, with my mother and they're both married, but it was just two very different experiences. You probably understand that. Um, I have always wanted her approval. She was just a hard woman to get and I am proud of you out of. And so like, I was all about like trying to do everything higher than a 4.0 GPA, full ride to college, like every little thing. I became the overachiever just to get those little drips of like, good job, I'm proud of you. And like, as a kid, I mean, we were just, my mother and I's relationship is mending, is on the mend, it took a long time. We were estranged for seven years, we did not speak to each other. And then now we're back. Um, and just kind of reflecting. And I think I think as the book comes out, we'll have more reflecting and more healing in conversations. But we were laughing about how every other kid in school would bring their report card home and then they get money for their A's. And so I, thinking I was one of those kids too, bring my report card home. And I'm like, 
I got like five A's. Is it $2 an A? I'm like trying to negotiate my rate for the A's, right? And she's just like, why would I pay you for something you're supposed to do? And she just kind of looked at me like, okay, and? <laughs> and I, I love the mentality because she's setting the bar high in the expectation, but I almost always was like, give me something. Give me something. Yeah. I'm going to win this race. Give me something. And so, yeah, I know what that feeling is like. I will say, though, I, it's harder to do when you're younger, when you're still dependent on these people for your livelihood. It's a little bit easier to do when you're making your own money. You're not living there, all, all these things. But at the end of the day, their life is their life. And what they want for you, for you is just what they prefer. Like you don't have to indulge that. That's their business in a lot of ways. And where we often go wrong is we internalize their their stuff for us. And mm-hmm. it's hard to make that separation, but if you can even just mentally say, okay, that's what you want for me versus what I want for me, acknowledge and listen to what they want while still honoring what you want and just walk your path. So it's not like you have to sit them down and be like, no, that's what you want. (laughs) That's not what I want. It's more like you acknowledge them because that's all people really want is to be seen and heard, right? You acknowledge what their dreams are for you. You acknowledge that you understand where it's coming from and it's a good place. But then you also acknowledge your own. And I think the, the reason we end up struggling so much as we get older is because we neglect ourselves in order to serve that. And exactly. as parents, they don't really want that for you. They just don't understand how it's being processed within you. So it exactly. requires a conversation. And like you said, realizing that, like you just mentioned that you're no longer in that household depending financially. So there is a separation mentally that you have to be able to make within yourself too. You know, you're still operating the same that you were in high school because it's been that mental conditioning that has happened. So you want to make sure that you do like she said and realize, you know, even if it's not a conversation that you can convince them, you Mm -hmm. understand the boundaries that you have within yourself. Exactly. And you know, it took me, it took me going to see a therapist to help me understand she was just like, at this point in your life, you are choosing to perpetuate like the father, the you know, the parent-child dynamic. Like you're an adult now. You can kind of you can opt out of like needing to defer to all of those things all the time. You haven't lived at home in like seven years. You mm-hmm. haven't, you've you've been financially independent since you were 19 years old, and yet Every time I ask you a question, you're like, your mom, my mom, you know, like you can opt out of that. But our social conditioning has us so much like we can't do that, that we we bring that on ourselves is what I'm trying to say to follow up on what Coach Gibbs. Right. And taking ownership. You know, we can we when we are always looking at someone else as the cause for Mm -hmm. what is happening in our lives. Yes, they might have a um, be a contributing factor, but they are not the cause. You are in control of how you respond to the circumstances in your life. So, yes, you may not have the best relationship, you know, with certain people, but how do you respond to that relationship and how do you let that impact and influence how you perform? Because, Tiana, when you talked about your marriage, you know, you got to a point to where you were still in that bad relationship and then you Mm -hmm. still did well. You still performed well because you took ownership for your performances and stopped letting it be dependent on what that person would do or say. Absolutely. And to take it one step farther than that, you know, I was in therapy during that time, um, throughout that time. And I, you know, I, I went to my early session so ready to be like, and he does this and he does this. And she, um, Dr. Reno is her name, said, I need you to go get this book called Who's Pulling Your Strings? And and then she said to me, you know who's pulling your strings. And so at this point, you're allowing them to be pulled. Like, exactly. so who are we mad at right now? Who are we really mad at? Are we mad at the person who's pulling the strings or are we mad at ourselves for allowing this to continue? And so I think I was able to continue to perform, like you said, at a high level because I finally was able to just look at what I was responsible for 
what I could control and really just dive down that rabbit hole. Right. And something you just said, I'm going to put you on the spot, Samaya. I told you to get the four agreements like a a year ago. Did you ever read it? I I didn't finish it. I had borrowed the book. Girl, that book is so easy. It's so I know. I know. But, you know. But wait, let me make this point. Let me make this point. So Tiana's therapist told her to get a book. She got it. She read it and made progress. A lot of times, too. We like tools and tips and resources are given to us and we don't follow through on it. And then we wonder why we're still in the same spot. So we have to take the steps to get us ourselves out of that rabbit hole, to dig ourselves out of that hole. People who have been through the things that we've been through or talk to and work with people to get through those things, give us resources and we need to follow through on those. This this is a, the amazing point because I always say, if you really wanted to, you would. And people are like, oh, it's not that simple. And I'm like, but it is. It, is. Yeah. it actually it is. is. If you really wanted to, you would. And so just like they say, you know, with with addicts, like may, they may relapse several times, but when they're really ready, they're done. Mm-hmm. And until then, they're not. And so it's like, it's a thin line between like, okay, you haven't read the book because you're actually not willing to 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 find out what it takes to fix that specific thing. But when you are, you will, and you'll make it happen. But until then, guess what? You have disqualified yourself from complaining about whatever <laughs> that thing was exactly. that was that yeah. didn't work out. Like the people who don't vote but criticize the government. It's yeah. it's just like that. Like you you have to be involved in your healing process, in the yeah. things that will actually make a difference. Coach Carl said something last week to you um, that was so phenomenal. He said that Samaya has almost a fear of like how great she could be. So if I do all of these things that people are telling me that's going to help me be great, and then I still like, what if I don't reach that level of of what I could do? So it's almost like you self-sabotage some of the steps that you need to do because then you have an excuse for why you never reach that that pinnacle of success. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's a vulnerable think, position to to yeah. like train and work your butt off and then get to the meat and lose. And then like, how, how are you supposed to process that? Like you did everything right. Like you did everything right. You showed up on time. You did all the training sessions and it still didn't work out. And it's a lot easier for weaker, like minded athletes to go through that process at the end, lose and be like, well, yeah, you know, if I would have just finished my rehab, everything would have been different if I could have done this rather than be bold enough to be like, you know what? I did everything right. I showed up every day. I lost. What am I going to do? What are you going to do about it? I lost. I'll try again next time or I'll graduate and move on to my profession. Like whatever, like it's okay. We act like there's this whole big parade of disappointment that's going to happen across the country when we don't make it work out. Like, how arrogant, mm-hmm. egotistical of us to believe that that's what's going to happen when we lose. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? No one actually cares. Go all in for yourself. Like she's saying, <laughs> do all of the things right. And then at least at the end of the day, because you only have this window of time to compete. You can't get to be my age and then be like, you know what? I want to go back and do it right because it's over. You know, not everybody can compete at 40 something years old like Tom Brady, but you know, most of us have that time to where, you know, 25 years old, 30, 35 years old, you can still compete at a high level. But after that window, mm-hmm. so give yourself the chance so that you're not one of those people telling people, oh, I could have done this or I could have done that or I was supposed to do this. I came out of high school and I was, you know, I made it to the Olympic trials my senior year, and then you never made it again? Or are you going to be one of the people that's tell, that you don't even have to tell them what you did. So Tiana don't have to get on here and say, I, I, I got Olympic gold medals. They look at her, and her, her reputation speaks for itself. They know what she did. 
So we're in a society, uh, you know, I have to post and tell people what I'm doing. I have to post and make myself look relevant and important. Yeah. But if you really live up to your full potential, you don't have to tell anybody anything. They're going to see you walking within your purpose. They're going to see you reaching your potential and they're going to be inspired by you and how you overcame the obstacles that have been placed in your path. Everybody out there, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are experiencing anxiety. And when we take off the mask, stop masking it, deal with it so that we can heal from it and, and really reach who we can be in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going through Absolutely. that right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll give you a recent example. I'll give you a recent example. I competed January 31st, ran a slower 60 than I ran in high school. Like, like high school T would have whooped my tail. And afterwards, I like was on this little roller coaster because, you know, trying to come back from all this stuff. And I was all sad. I was like, well, maybe I should retire or maybe like, maybe I don't even want to do it anymore. Like I have the, I'm in a fortunate position to be good at a few other things that I could just go all into. So I'm like, you know, trying to decide all that. Anyway, my mental conditioning coach was like, or you just lost and, and you're too heavy. And I was like, yes, I am definitely too heavy. But what if this means I should retire? He was like, well, maybe first you should lose the weight because you can't really make a, you can't really make a judgment about your future if you haven't even gotten to your elite body. Like, so how are you going to be making these calls when you haven't done all of the work to set yourself back up? It's one thing to get down to 135 pounds, step out there and then run seven, five. That's a different conversation than stepping out there at what you know is not your fighting weight, 20 pounds, almost heavier, and then have the nerve to be like, Oh, I didn't run fast. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't do the work. Yeah. So Samaya, what did, what did you mean when you said you were going to start now? Like, what does that look like for you? What changes? Um, well, a big part, and I'm glad you brought it up for me, has always been my diet. Um, I'm very muscular and I am, that makes me heavy. And you know, being a long jumper, you have to be light, you have to be bouncy. And having too much muscle mass, which would, could be good in the, you know, the sprints, is a downfall for the jump. So I'm really struggling right now with leaning up and trying to figure out what works for my body because some things that work for my teammates on how they lose weight don't work with me and right now I'm kind of in the the process of trying to figure out what helps me with losing weight without straining myself without making myself too you know too lean to the point where I don't have any energy for practice and stuff like that so that's Mm -hmm. one of the things leaning up Leaning up and focusing my weight and also building up a stronger mentor, like the two top things on my list right now that I know is going to help make a, a huge difference in my performance. And I need to stop you right there. <laughs> Tiana mentioned right before we came on that, or just a minute ago, how strict and how time sensitive her, her diet is. And that's what you did in high school. Are you doing that now? If you have to hesitate, exactly. then you're not. No, the not, exactly. no. not exactly. So no. it's the same thing with what she said about the book. If you want it bad enough, then you would do it. You would at least be able to say, I'm taking the steps to do it. It doesn't mean that the weight will come off as easy, but you don't know if the weight will come off and do like, you know what works for you. This is this is not a new thing. You know that your competition weight, your elite competition weight was always a certain number, right? And so you always lean out before major competitions. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I want to, I want to stop her real quick because she said something that is actually untrue. You don't have to be light to jump. That is, that is not why I'm losing weight. I'm losing weight because I need my strength to weight ratio, my power ratio to be as high as possible. And so that means where that means like, if I go into the gym right now, and power clean 200 pounds, which I can do at this current weight. I'm 146 right now, right? And I can get a little bit lighter and come back into the gym next week at 143 and power clean 200 pounds. That's good. But if I at 133 
can no longer power clean 200 pounds, that's bad. So what you're looking for is mm-hmm. how powerful can I be at the lightest weight I can be? Not just light for the hell of it. No, right. no, no, no. We still need to generate force and power. You know that long jump takeoff requires aggression, and violence, and energy. Mm-hmm. So it's not about being light. The more mass you have, the more force you produce. The issue is, can you get it so fine-tuned that you are as powerful as possible while being as lean as you can be at that power number? So that's what you're looking for. So you're going to, you don't want to lose energy or strength in the process. And as we get older, that threshold gets higher. So what Coach Gibson is saying is like, you got to try because it's all a grand experiment. You got to find out. You got to start the process. But you might learn that it's actually five pounds heavier than it ever used to be. And that's okay. It's not actually about the number. It's about it's just, How you just feel. about you, yeah, feeling and becoming, just getting that that ratio just so, because that's what physics wants. Physics doesn't care that your scale says 120. It doesn't at all. It needs to, right. you need to be able to execute the takeoff with the force required. And it's easier to do that when you are as powerful, powerful as hell, and as light as you can be at that power. That's what right. That's what we're working for. And let's not just say it's muscle mass, though, because I will, I'm just going to put it out there. You can slap me later, but stress eating. When you talk about the stress and the anxiety, um, I know you're a stress eater. I'm a stress eater, too, you know, and that's something that's an issue. And you've told me about times that you're stressed out and then you're, you're nibbling. So it's getting that schedule and sticking to that schedule, just like you have a practice schedule and you have 850s. You're not going to go out there and do 1250s just because you, you know, feel like it. So the same thing with your eating. If your eating is this many calories, you're not going to just go over that amount of calories just because you feel like it. You're going to stick to the diet or the plan that's been put in place for you with um, intention. You don't want to just go out there and stop eating or starve yourself because you're not going to have the energy output that Tiana's talking about. But with a nutritionist that you have as most collegiate athletes have available to them, you can meet with a nutritionist and come up with a plan that works for you. But one thing that I do want to address while we're on this call is the the emotional stress that weight puts on female athletes. I know that it's a major stressor. Um, I went through the stress in college when I was competing and, and trying to, I remember my coach was like, <laughs> he's Jamaican, he's like, the booty, the booty, you know? <laughs> And that's a big thing, you know, coaches, they just say that and they don't realize that, okay, I'm going home and now I'm self-conscious and I'm trying to figure out what to do. This is how I, I look at it now. It's like, this is, this is temporary. We all understand that this is temporary. This is the equivalent of fitting your like race car. Like it's gonna, when you're just going to Target, if that's the life you're living, you don't need to worry about any of this. Your body is perfect, healthy. That's fine. This specific endeavor requires a specific body. And that's the only thing you need to look at it that way. This specific endeavor requires a specific body. Don't be emotional about it. Like do the best you can to get it to those specifications and let that be that. And when it's over, it's over. This like needing to lose or gain weight is not a reflection on you as a woman. Having more cuts in your muscles right now is what you need right now. Like that's okay. It's not It's not um, a critique on your femininity or your softness or whether you can move through the world gracefully. It's like, how badass is it that you have identified a goal and a path that you wanna walk And you are going to sculpt your body in such a way that you can make it do it at a high level. That's that's all this conversation about weight is meant to do. Nothing else, nothing about insecurity or self-consciousness. It's like we are all mechanics. Our bodies are the high-performance vehicles. How fine-tuned can we tweak these settings to achieve this very specific goal? and then move on and then move away from it. 
Exactly. And like she said, this is temporary. So make this temporary sacrifice for this year. It's Olympic year. If COVID, you know, calms down and and allows us to be great again, you know, so (laughs) make this sacrifice this year and then you'll deal with next year, next year. You'll deal with yep. if you're going to do the next four Olympics, but you can't focus on the fact that I got to do this for five more years because I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to go to two to two, you got to go to the first Olympics first. Focus on the now, stay present in the moment, get through this year. Can you commit to a diet plan this year so that you can have the opportunity to see how great you can be, to see what your potential is? And it doesn't need to be a number like you threw out the 23 earlier. Just can you PR? Can you get a little yeah. bit better every time that you jump? And if you take the pressure off of trying to jump 23 and just say, I'm going to PR, I'm going to get better, whether that's an inch or six inches or a foot, I'm mm-hmm. going to get better the next time that I jump. And then the next time that I jump, I'm going to get better again. And to get better, I have these action steps. Like Tiana said, you're putting the energy into the little action steps. So I want to get better. That's all. It's not about 23 feet. It's about getting better. I'm going to jump further than I've ever jumped before. To do that, I have to take these steps. I have to be intentional with what I'm eating, the fuel I'm putting into my body. So don't look at it as what you can't eat or a diet plan, but what should I put in my body to make this high performing machine be the best that it can be? What mental things will I do every day? Am I going to meditate every morning? Am I going to journal every day in the evening after practice? Those are things that you've done in the past. Am I going to do visualization? You just talked about watching film. Are you going to do those things? Make a list of the things that you did, like when you felt the best as an athlete, when you had your best performance, relive that performance, close your eyes and see it, and then write down all the things that you did to get yourself to that performance and then do those things. Yeah, You know what works for you. Look, I see the light. Yeah. The light is coming on. Look at, yeah, I see it too. Like her face looks yeah. different. Yeah, like, okay. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Like, okay. But you have the power. You take ownership of your own success. Because at the end of the day, when you're 40, 50 years old, you're not going to be able to blame dad. You're not going to be able to blame coach. You're not going to be able to say anybody else prevented you from doing what you're supposed to do. When you're talking to your children, you're going you're gonna to talk about what you did to take ownership and control of your own success. That's right. With this with this whole weight thing, I want every female athlete or male athlete, because it is an issue for male athletes too, to oh, understand, absolutely. understand that, you know, this does not define you. Um, when you start doing things that are contrary to your performance, like, you know, eating disorders, that's actually working against you. So yeah. even if you hit the weight, you're not going to be performing well because you did it the wrong way. So making yeah. sure that, you know, you don't put too much pressure on yourself and you can talk to your high performance coach about the way that you feel about your weight, because a lot of times it's an underlying issue, emotional, that might be contributing to what's going on with your absolutely. weight. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Maya, you the mind you is super powerful. In the stress that's going- oh, go ahead, T. I was gonna say the mind is super powerful. Like as a default, the mind is just powerful. It's up to us to turn it into an ally or an enemy. And it's how we decide that is in the little choices that we make. Because once the mind gets focused on something, it uses its power. And like, just like every superhero and villain, they all have power, one's chosen for good, the other for bad. So we can decide where to focus the power that we already have. Cause it's gonna, it's gonna flex that power. It's up to you to point it in which direction it's going, it's going to do something. So give it something good to do, to fixate on. Love that. Love that. Samaya, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want you to address the question you had about COVID and um, additional stress and anxiety that has come up for a lot of athletes during this time of uncertainty. Mm. Okay. So yeah, a big, a huge question that I have is I've always been the type of athlete that would work towards something. Like I would know like, okay, Texas Rears is coming up. I'm working towards PRing here. Or like I know um, NCAAs is coming up. I'm working toward PR in here. So not mm-hmm. being in the know and still training your butt off, not being in the know, like how would you tell athletes during COVID, like 
to deal with that because I know it's hard because we, we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with sports um, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So how would you say some good advice that you would give to athletes to help stay in that still same mindset and keep progressing through your workouts and your training while we're still in this pandemic? So what I'm going to say is you can easily put it into the category of easier said than done. But at the end of the day, these things are actually simple, right? I have a calendar. And when I build my training program, I work backwards from the Olympics, work backwards from the trials, backwards. So everything that I'm doing today is with that big picture in mind. So what I do is I act as if, act as if. I got that from Jack Canfield, who wrote this amazing book called The Success Principles. It's incredible. I have to revisit it. I think every two years I read this book. Basically, this is what I do. I act as if the trials will happen on the date that they say they will happen. I act as if the Olympic Games will happen on the date that they say they will happen. I ignore every tweet, every news article that says otherwise until I get a definitive answer. Until then, I go to practice on February 12th. And I make sure my practice on February 12th is as good a practice as it can be. And then I go to bed and then I show up on February 13th. <laughs> Repeat, you know, like over and over and over. Because if I get to June and there's an announcement that there's no Olympic trials, what have I lost? Like for real, for real. Nothing. Not a thing. What have I gained? Discipline, a whole lot of character, hashtag body goals, most likely. Like, <laughs> probably could go to a track and do a time trial and find out that I have actually improved in all the areas that I was working towards improving. So if you wanted to go to the trials to see if you could run 10-9, I'm pretty sure you can run that on a track somewhere. We can set up free lap cones and we can turn up and I can make a fire playlist and get you hyped and see if you can run 10-9. So what have you lost? There is an event that is canceled but you've lost nothing in preparing for it as if it were to happen. So again, like you don't go into a meet focusing on the results or you shouldn't. You don't go to training just because the Olympics will happen in August. That's not how that works. Because guess what? If we did that, none of us would go to practice unless we knew for sure we were getting a medal at the end of the summer. If that was really how it worked, Mm -hmm. With the end in mind, none of us would do anything unless we knew absolutely for sure how it was going to turn out in the end. But that's not the case. So just keep showing up. Your motivation doesn't need to be tied to that thing. If you want to see if you could have made the team, then we'll create a leaderboard. Top three, fastest, time trial, hundreds, long jumps or whatever. Mm -hmm. You would have made the team and you can still know that. You know what I mean? Top three, mm -hmm. ranked top three in the world. You can still know these things. So don't tie it so much to something you have zero control over and just stay right here in the middle. Stay right here, it. head down, train. I love it. And what she just mapped out goes well with anxiety too. Mm -hmm. Take it one day at a time, staying present in the moment. You know, all you can, the only moment that exists is this moment. The only day that exists is this day. You don't even know if you're going to make it to tomorrow, like physically as a person. You're talking about the Olympics. You don't know for sure that you're going to still be here. And look at how many people are passing away every single day. So, only thing that you can control is right now. So, give it your best today every single day and that will reduce the anxiety as well mm -hmm. none of us would ever wanna, do anything go ahead say that again T. No, go i would ahead. say i was saying none of us would ever do anything if we needed 100 percent guarantee that it, whatever we were expecting was going to happen yeah 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 and, and they say that anxiety and, and, and depression, like they say, anxiety is worrying about the future and depression is from worrying about the past, like regretting what happened in the past contributes to depression. And if you stay present, then you can be more fully successful in the future because you're taking care of the present. But if you're in the future, you're not doing what you're supposed to in the present. So you'll never be where you're supposed to be in the future. When she mapped out February 12th, February 13th, February 14th, if she 
she gets to August and she skipped a workout on February 13th, that's going to contribute to what happens in August. Right. So staying here and doing those one day at a time. So, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, they have the plan laid out, taking it one day at a time. And that's what helped me with grief a lot is just one day at a time, taking it moment by moment, not worrying about like when I got overwhelmed, like I can't live like this for 20 years, you know, without my child. Well, guess what? You may not have to live 20 years, but you got to live today. Make it through today. So whenever you're feeling anxiety, focus on the moment, connect to your breath, relax, breathe, you know, take a moment to meditate. You don't have to be sitting down, laying down to meditate. You can meditate right where you are. You can meditate right at the run before you get on the runway, you know, yep. and, and, and just breathe in the moment. Tiana does yoga classes. I, I should have put that in there. So she, you still do your yoga classes on Saturday mornings? I have a full yoga <sighs> online yoga studio now. So, yeah. I have several questions. Okay, <laughs> we'll put that in the comments with this. But let me tell you something. All yoga is not created equal. Ooh, nope. baby, I took one of Tiana's classes, and, and you can go at the pace that you want. But I was feeling like I lifted some weights. I was like, ooh, baby, you're going to be fine after this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want to end with on a, on a fun note. I just want to ask you guys some rapid-fire questions. So I'm I'm like an uh, old thespian. I took, um you know, acting classes in, in college. And I was, I love inside the actor studio. And I don't know if people know what that Me is. Too. We always ask like the same question. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys a couple without thinking, just respond. Okay. So if you could be anything, any profession in the world that did not have to do with sports, what would you, what would your profession be, Tiana? Doctor. I would be like a performer, like a singer and a dancer. I would do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Maya, what is your favorite meal? I like pasta. I like pasta. I like pasta. Tiana, your Lamb favorite meal? Hat. Ooh, okay. With mint jelly. Then, if you could be, if you could be any animal other than a human being, what would you be? Me? Jaguar. Oh. I like that. Um, this is not really an animal, but I'm gonna say a unicorn. I, I love oh, unicorn. Okay. I'd be unicorn. <laughs> okay. Okay. This has been so fun, you guys. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to More Than a Coach. I want to just make a quick announcement. Tiana has just um, sent in the final draft of her personal memoir. Make sure that you guys look out for updates on how you can order her memoir. Um, and TB, tell us your website. Go ahead and call it out. TianaB.com. So T-I-A-N-N-A-B-E-E.com. Wonderful blog. Tune into that. Um, my foundation, do it for Damani.com. You can support. It's in honor of my beautiful son, Damani. And make sure that you subscribe to this YouTube channel. Share this video with someone else that can benefit. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.